Amen? Awesome. John chapter 8 in the Word of God. And I love the Bible this morning. I hope that you love the Bible. I hope you have your Bibles with you and you're looking there with me as we will study the Scriptures together this morning. I want to talk to you today just about the subject of salvation. Are, are you saved? That's a good thing to know. Some of us this morning uh, are needing to be, uh, that, that chain to be broken, if you will, uh, and, and receive the assurance of our salvation. Just knowing that you're saved is a, a tremendous, listen, there is nothing greater than knowing that you're saved. But do we really understand what that, what that means? I think John chapter 8 is a beautiful passage of Scripture that helps us to understand some things. And just breaking it down thought by thought, four different thoughts for you this morning that will help each of us. And I don't want us to be thinking about uh, halfway through this message. Let me challenge you not to be thinking that you wish somebody else was here. Anybody ever been there? You know, you're listening to a sermon. Oh, man, I wish. Usually that means Satan's got you thinking about something other than the message. And so can I encourage you today not to think, well, you know what? I'm saved, so I can kind of take a break this morning, right? Not necessarily. In fact, I encourage you to listen even more so if if that's your testimony this morning. Listen closely to John chapter 8. I'm going to read the scripture to you, and then we'll come back and break it down. Verse 30 says, and as he spake these words, Jesus spoke these words, many believed on him. Amen. Hey, is that usually something to get excited about? Okay, well, Shirley was excited about it. Thank you, Shirley. And that's good. And Shirley's, you know, uh, usually pretty excited anyway. But how many of you would say if many people believe, that, that sounds like it appears to be a good thing. Amen? It appears to be that way. It seems that something is happening here. But then Jesus says this to those Jews which proclaimed that they were saved, that they believed. He says that Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if. In other words, these people were professing Christ. And then he said, wait a minute, if. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him. Here's, here was their answer. We be Abraham's seed. Those that said they believed. We be Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou? Ye shall be able to free. Ye shall be made free. And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever. But the son does. The the son does abide forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me. Because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Now, let me give you a main thought here, and I'm going to ask this to be placed on the screen, and I want to keep it there for just a little bit, because this is the main thought of the message. And would you agree with this statement, that the bigger the potential loss, then the greater the need for assurance. Sound right? The bigger the potential loss, the greater the need for assurance. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. If you lose a penny, chances are you probably don't even look for it, right? Make sense? Is that statement becoming a little bit more real to you? If you lose 20 bucks, $10, $20, I'm probably going to take some time to look for that. But if I lose $100, am I speaking your language now? 
I'm going to find that. I'm going to look for it. At least I'm going to give it all I've got for a very long time. If you lose your cat, you're probably not going to look very long. I'm just kidding. Sorry. But if you lose your dog, you're going to look for a very, very long time. Amen? You see, the bigger the potential loss, the greater the need for assurance. The greater the value, the more assurance you need that you're not going to lose it. For instance, the greater the value, the more assurance. Think about your marriage. If you were to lose your marriage, if you were to lose a child, I've been told that those that lose a child sometimes really never get over that. But what if you you were to lose your soul? The the greater the potential loss, the greater need for assurance. What if you were to lose your soul? Scripture says in Mark chapter number 8, verse number 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Think about that verse for just a moment on the screen. What if you were so successful that at the end of your life you own the world? That would be pretty successful, wouldn't it be? I mean, you, you finished life, you lived 70, 80 years, and at the end of your life, you could stand up and say, I own the world, but you lose your soul. The Bible makes an interesting statement when it says, what, what profit is it if you gain everything but lose your soul? You see, there's more to us, church, than, than just this physical thing we call our bodies. There's more to us than that. There is something called a soul. And the greater the potential loss, the bigger the need for assurance. So you may ask yourself this question this morning, can you really lose your soul? Can somebody really lose their soul? And the answer to that question is yes, they can. You can live your life in such a way that you are unforgiven by, you die rather, unforgiven by a holy God. And as a result of that, you would spend your eternity separated from God in a place called hell. In fact, right now, there are many people in hell right now in fact according to the bible most people don't get saved the majority of people live and die and go to hell let me give you the verse you've heard it matthew chapter 7 verse number 13 answer ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. The very next verse, verse 14, talks about the fact that narrow is the way. Very narrow. And it says, and few, just a few, just a few people that live find eternal life. So what does it mean then to be saved? Have I got your attention? Is this pretty serious stuff? Well, we know what it means to be saved in this sense. A, a doctor, you go to the doctor, and that doctor says you've got a, a cancerous tumor that needs to be removed. This could very well take your life. And that doctor then does surgery and removes the tumor. And you could say, and again, I understand, humanly speaking, this would be said, that that doctor saved your life. A fireman uh, is called, uh, a fire department is called, and you've got a fire on the, let's just say, second story of a house and you're up there and that fireman or let's just make it even more real your child is up there and that fireman goes inside that burning house goes up the stairs grabs your child goes down the stairs outside of the house hands you your child begins to fight that fire you would say and rightfully so that fireman saved your your child's life 
What about a drowning? We're out on Lake Hamilton. It's, uh, it's Labor Day. It's 4th of July. We're having a good time. And, 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 and all of a sudden, we see one of our family members or friends out drowning. And, and someone goes into that dangerous situation. And, and what? And saves our child, our friend, our relative, someone we're with. Saves them. And you could rightly say, thank you. You saved my life. We totally get what saved is. But the Bible says something about saved in John chapter 3 and verse 17. And this is what we're talking about today. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, and there's that word, say it with me, saved. That's why God sent his son into the world, that the world might be saved. Every person's soul needs to be saved. And the bigger the potential loss, then the greater need for assurance. So I suggest... I suggest this morning, as I bring this very first message about the truth setting us free, I suggest that your assurance of being saved is the most important thing in your life. Nothing is more important because the Bible already told us if we gain the whole world but lose our own soul, we might have, it would have been better that we were never born for that to happen. So how critically important is this? Well, it's very important. And so I'm preaching this message so that every person would have the assurance of their salvation. And we sing the song, Blessed Assurance. Amen? It's a good song. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So back to John chapter 8, look at verse 30. Because Jesus spake these words, and many believed. And it seems like a good thing. It seems like a profitable thing. Many believe, but then Jesus said to those which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Write this down. First of all, number one, genuine disciples bear spiritual fruit. I want to show you that. That word genuine is very, very important because the opposite of genuine disciples, which which is someone who is saved, is a false disciple, which is someone who may say they're saved and not be saved. But a genuine disciple is one that bears fruit. You see, many people believe in Jesus. Is that true or false? It's a reality. Many people believe in Jesus. They profess, I believe in Jesus. But everyone who says they believe in Jesus is not saved. James chapter number 2, verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Just remember this, the devils also believe. How many of you think it's safe to say there'll be no demons in heaven? Amen. But the demons believe. The demons believe in there a God, that there's a God. And there are many that would say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You see, belief that is merely intellectual, belief that is merely partial or superficial, means you are not saved. You may think you are. I, I think I am. And many people will admit that. I, I think I am. But that partial, superficial, just intellectual belief means you're not saved. Surveys indicate around the world, and you've heard these surveys, I'm sure. If, if, you've, uh, if you've paid attention at all, uh, you'll see this sometimes on Fox News, on CNN, on major news broadcasts. That, that upwards towards the, the, the last one I saw said that 85% of Americans say they believe in God. 85%. It's a pretty high number of Americans that say they believe in God. But there is obviously a big gap in what people profess and what is really true. Scripture says a lot about this, a lot about this. In fact, 
Honestly, as I preach this message, I wonder if I have failed by not preaching something like this more often. Because scripture says so much about it. The assurance of our salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, I'll just give you a few to look at. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence. Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Make sure. Give diligence to do this. And then again in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more, but, but now much more in my absence. And here it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Take it serious. That's why we ought not be thinking about who should be here right now because the Bible says we ought to be working out our own salvation. Not somebody else's salvation, but our own. Goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty clear. Black ink on white paper. There it is. Examine yourselves. Literally, from time to time, listen to a message like this and ask myself the question, pure and simple, am I saved? Examine yourselves, except you be in the faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 that a sower went out to sow. Would you do me uh, the favor, since I, I, I don't ask you to do this much, we just use scripture, lots of it, if you've been here very long. But would you turn to Matthew 13 for just a moment? Because I think it'd be good for you to see this. And, and as, as I lay this foundation, uh, that, that many people believe in Jesus. But genuine disciples, only genuine disciples, bear spiritual fruit. And what we see here in this story, uh, where the sower went forth to sow, is that the seed represents the gospel in this story. And there are four things that take place. There are four places where the seed falls, and then there's four responses to the seed. First of all, in verse 3, it says that a sower went forth to sow. In verse 4, it says that some of the seed fell by the wayside. In verse 2, it says that some fell upon stony places. You see that? In verse 7, it says, and some fell among thorns. And then the fourth place they fell was into good ground. Then in verse 18, he says a whole lot more between verses 8 and verse 18. But for sake of time, let's go ahead and go to the explanation of those four times that seed falls on ground. And the Bible says that the the parable, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, and here is the four responses to the seed. I think I have these in your note. Number one, it says in verse 19, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Number one, there are those who hear it but do not understand it. The seed fell. The gospel seed was sown. And they did not understand it. The wicked one snatches it away. Saved or lost? Lost. This person is lost. If we were to take these four illustrations and just do something as simple as say 25%, 25%, 25%, and 25%, we could say that more than likely 25% or possibly hear, but they just don't understand. Secondly, notice in Matthew chapter number 13, verse number 20. He goes on to explain the seed that falls on stony places. He says, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, so he hears it, And look what he does. He receives it with joy. Hey, I'm saved. I'm saved. I prayed a prayer. I'm saved. And here this person at some point in his life, he he received this seed with joy. But the Bible says, yet hath he not root in himself? 
He dureth for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by, he is offended. So secondly, here is someone who who hears the word and he endures for a while, but when tribulation comes, the Bible says he falls away. He thinks it ought to be easy. And he comes to church and he walks an aisle and he prays a prayer, and then as soon as something happens, he's out. We never see him again. He's gone. Tribulation comes. A little pressure comes. He doesn't want to pay any price to follow Jesus. As soon as the preacher preaches a message that challenges people to give or to serve, he says, I'm out of here. That's all they want my money. When he doesn't understand that Jesus paid it all for us to be saved, but then after that, hey, let me tell you something. We then, because he laid his life down for us, the, the normal, honestly, church, the normal, the reaction that every believer has is to, is to follow Christ, to turn our backs on this world, to follow Jesus. Here's a person that wants to be in church every Sunday, no matter how tough things get. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't look for Champa to come home, church. It's tough. It's going to be hard. He's being persecuted. I'm really looking to see Champa stand against that and just stay and trust his God through it all because he's following Christ with or without support. Look at number three. He goes on to say, and these that fell among thorns, look at the reaction in verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. Another one hears the word. He comes to church. He hears it. But the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. So some say that they've accepted Jesus, but are still living for themselves and the deceitfulness of this world and its riches. So here's another one that says, as we just read in John chapter 8, and, and many believed on his name. I believe in Jesus. I, yes, I, I, yes, I'm a Christian. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of sin, and all the riches of this world, and all the glamour and glitter of this world has choked this one. Saved or lost? Lost. And then the Bible says, here in verse number 8, but other fell into good ground. And look at verse 23, and he that received seed into the good ground, do you see the explanation here? It's he that heareth the word, he understandeth it, which also beareth fruit. Some 30, or rather uh, uh, some uh, 100-fold, some 60, some 30. So here is a man, he hears it, he receives it, and he begins to bear fruit. Some are more productive than others. Some, some are in a, maybe a, a field uh, where there's going to be more results. Some maybe are given a little more talent, uh, more gifts. I'm not sure all about that, but I do know this, that, that this is a man, this is a woman, this is a true child of God who is bearing fruit because genuine disciples bear spiritual fruit. That's what Scripture teaches. Wow. Actually, this is exciting. Because Jesus said, and, and, and I want to show you this, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20 on the screen, Jesus said, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, by your fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, I believe in Jesus. Not everyone that says to me, I go to church. Not everyone that says to me, I pray to prayer. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, he who follows me, he who bears fruit. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
So the big subject on the table this morning is, are you saved? And John chapter 8 and verse 30 and 31 helps us to understand that there is something that is genuine about the true believer. And that is that he bears fruit. Number two. Notice, secondly, that Jesus made this incredible comment. He says, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? Number two, I want you to jot this down, that genuine disciples abide in Jesus' words. That word continue means abide. Abide, continue. Continue, abide. If you're saved, you are abiding in Jesus' words. That's what Jesus said. Okay, you believe, but wait a minute. If you continue in my word. The devils believe, the demons believe. That's wonderful, thank you. But if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? We'll see, time will tell. Are you abiding in the words of Jesus? The word continue means abide. While salvation happens in a moment, and it does. Salvation happens in a point of time when you acknowledge your sinful condition and your need for forgiveness of your sin, and you turn from that sin, and you embrace Christ by faith. Yes, that is salvation. That happens in a point of time, but it's proven over time. It's proven over time. That's why the Bible says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. That's why the Bible simply says over and over again that we must not take this lightly. It must not be something we just flippantly do and think, oh, it's, it's fine, it's okay, I'm good. When you ask the question, are you saved? Many times you're going to get a yes, just like Matthew 7 said. But then when you ask the question, do you know Do you know how you're saved? You get some real wacky, crazy, false answers. Can I give you some of those? Are you saved? Yes. Well, how were you saved? Well, I prayed a sinner's prayer. Oftentimes, the answer is simply just that. I, I prayed a prayer. And can I tell you that although praying a prayer can be something we do when we're saved, that's not what saves us. And the assurance of our salvation is not, I prayed a prayer. Secondly, a crazy false assurance sometimes you hear something like this. Well, my mom is saved. Well, that's great. Your mom needs to be saved. Amen. Someone says, ah, bless God, don't talk about my mama. Well, your mom needs to be saved. Amen. You know, I'm saying it as nicely as I can. How many wish salvation was contagious? We could just catch it from other people who got saved. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be great if it was that way, but it's not that way. You can't catch it. You've got to have it for yourself. Another false assurance is this. I work for the Lord. I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm an usher. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do that stuff. I know what you're talking about. The problem with that is Isaiah 64, 6 says something very interesting about our works. It says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our works... All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In other words, here's what God is saying. I hate anything that you say is an assurance of you getting saved. I hate it. It's like filthy rags. If you think going to church gets you saved, if you think being an usher gets you saved, I hate that. I hate that work because that work is going to put you in hell one day if that's what you're trusting. It's just filthy rags. Don't trust your righteousness. I work. I'm a good person. Number four, I go to church. I think I hear that one as much as anyone. 
I'm glad you're here. I really am glad you're here. But coming here doesn't save you. Coming to church and sitting in a pew every week doesn't save you. Coming to church every day, three times a week, religiously, traditionally, that doesn't save you. And finally, I'm a good person. First thing we need to understand is no, you're not. Amen? There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. Does that all include you and me? So let's just get that out of the way. Now, for those of you that are offended by that, okay, true. True. Most of the people here today are slightly better than the human who, uh, on a human level, maybe on a human level, possibly, than the person who is in, con- uh, in prison right now for murder. We're slightly better. If you're offended by that, I want to remind you that the Bible speaks of our thoughts. In other words, if we hate somebody, we've committed murder. If we think a lustful thought, we've committed adultery. So before we start thinking too highly about ourselves, like we're better than somebody, let's just be brought back down and remember, folks, we're not all that much. (laughs) Let's just be humble. There's none righteous. No one is good. To say, dude, I'm way better is scary words to me. We would all be going to hell, was it not for God's grace? Amen? All of us. So Jesus says in verse number 32 of John chapter 8, he says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So you know you're saved because abiding, continuing in Christ, leads to freedom. Do you see that? Abiding in his words and continuing in his words leads to freedom. Freedom of assurance of your salvation. Freedom from the bondage of sin, knowing that you're saved. Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, Scripture says. The word know there means that it's not just in your head, but you've experienced it. Amen? There's some experiential things here that go along with salvation. Set you free. What I mean by that is this, speaking of experience, sets you free. Free. Free from what? Free from the bondage of sin. There is a growing pattern of freedom from sin in the life of a truly saved person. A growing pattern. You can see that pattern. You're continuing. You're abiding. A growing faithfulness in your marriage. A growing fervency in your faith. A growing favor in the things of the Lord. And listen, I'm, I'm kind of known as a transparent Pastor, so I'll be honest with you. In my marriage of 26 years, I'm just glad my wife stayed with me and stuck with me. Honey, I'm glad after 26 years there's been a growing pattern in the life of this poor wretched sinner. I wish I could go back and do it again because I'd be a whole lot better for you. But I've grown. I feel sorry for the people in this church. You've had to put up with me for 22 years. Bless your heart. If we could start over today, I promise you I'd be a better pastor. Truth is, I'm growing. But there's been a growing pattern in my life as a pastor of learning and, and, of, and of, uh, of growing in grace and growing in knowledge of Scripture. And so, yeah, do I wish sometimes I could start over with the knowledge I have now? Yes, it just doesn't work that way as a, in a marriage, in a church, as a Christian. But there's a growing pattern. Let me reverse it real quick and give you number three. Write this down. True disciples are not slaves to sin. 
True disciples are not slaves to sin. And yet false disciples don't even recognize bondage. They can't even see it in their lives. Notice the answer that Jesus gave after verse 31 and 32. This is pretty enlightening. Back to John chapter 8. And I want you to notice the answer that Jesus gave after he said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And here's what those that said they believed in Jesus. Here's how they answered. We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? What are you talking about, free? By the way, let me just go on record as saying that was an awful answer to give to Jesus after you just told him you believed in him. They were insulted that Jesus would say they were in bondage. They were in, what do you mean we're in bondage? What do you mean free? We need to be set free. What are you talking about? Church, we all need this freedom. We are all, we were once all in bondage to sin. You are a sinner. How saved is that person that doesn't even know he's a sinner? How saved would most of these people, there may have been a few that were saved, obviously just a few, even according to Scripture, but the majority of them obviously weren't saved. In fact, if you want to go ahead, I don't have time to do this, but if you go and read a little further, look what they did to Jesus in verse 48. The same crowd that said, we believe, they answered the Jews and said unto him, say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. They actually accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. Look at verse 59, John 8. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself. The same crowd that's saying, we believe in you now, is wanting to stone Jesus. Saved or lost? Lost. You see, what we find in Scripture here is that false disciples, people that aren't saved, they don't even recognize they're in bondage. Little bondage check up here. Let's just do it. A little test here. I gave you a test last week. Let me give you a quick little test right now. If you're not saved, you're, you're still a slave to certain sins. Now, now, pay attention. By God's grace, a saved person is not a slave to any sin. Amen. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Means we may still at times fall. We may struggle. We may sin. But, but by a slave, here's what I mean. Is there a sin that can ring your phone and you pick it up every time? Every time. Every time you give into that sin, every time you have no power over that sin, that sin gets you every single time. Whenever anger rings, you pick it up. Whenever lust rings, you pick it up. You just can't say no. You're slave to that sin. Let me give you a scripture Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. That scripture teaches that we are not saved if there is still a sin that we can't say no to. Notice what Jesus says in verse 34 and 35. His response to them saying, what are you talking about bondage? Here's what Jesus said in verse 34. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Pay close attention. Look at verse 35. The servant abideth not in the house forever. But the son abideth forever. The servant of sin abideth. He may, he, may, he may come in for a little while, but he'll eventually defect. Does that mean he was saved and lost? No, never saved. You can't lose your salvation. You just never had it. 
That's what, that's what I fear is this pastor of a church this size. As, honestly, I, I lose sleep over this sometimes at night that I'm, I'm pastoring and preaching to people who may not know they're saved. Listen, that's, I'm not worried about the people in other churches. I, I'm worried about our congregation. I'm worried about the flock that, that God's given me the, the privilege to, to shepherd. Listen, folks, this is in the Word of God. If we ignore it, then how guilty am I of withholding the truth of Scripture. Do you have a secret sin that is increasing its control in your life? It's not good. Is there a secret sin in your life that is increasing its control in your life? Because the saved are getting increasingly free and they're coming out of bondage. The saved are getting increasingly free. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. Doesn't mean we don't, but it means this, that's, that sin does not have a control over us because we have been set free. The truth has set us free. Let me ask you a question. Do you battle grudges? I mean, do you battle that all the time? Just, I don't care. I don't care about this. I'm in and out of church. You know, half the time you're okay, but most of the time you're not okay, and you're just upset all the time and bitter and angry, and it's just kind of something you can't seem to get a hold of. It just constantly just ravages your heart. Do you battle coming to church? I just don't like church. I really don't want to come to church. I'm here. You know, somebody made me come today. I'm here. I don't really care. I mean, you know, I'm just here for mom. She wants me to come, so I'll come. Is that, is that a battle you go through every Sunday? Do you find spiritual discussions just aggravating? I don't want to be in spiritual discussions. I don't want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about church. I don't want to talk about the Bible. I mean, just, just leave me alone with that, all that spiritual stuff, okay? I, I believe. I believe, okay? Do you battle a critical spirit towards people that are devoted to Christ? Yeah, they're up there singing. They probably don't love Jesus. Yeah, they're, they're sinners too. They don't, yeah, up there singing all that goody two-shoes. Do you battle? By the way, let me just tell you, <laughs> these people aren't perfect, but I want you to know they love Jesus, and, and I'm thankful for the people I get to work with. And uh, could I just sometimes, could I, could I step forward and just say, please, Please be careful about a critical spirit. True disciples. Number three, genuine disciples are not a slave to sin. Let me give you the last one and I'm done. And I'll be quick. True disciples, according to the passage here, remain in Christ. They remain in Christ. They continue in Christ. False disciples do not remain in Christ. People who claim to be saved and are not eventually defect. Look at verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever. Or your Bible may say the slave. Servant means slave. Slave, servant, same thing. Abideth not in the house forever. People who claim to be saved, but they're not saved, eventually defect. If, if The saved are not perfect, but the saved are kept. Amen. They fall, and he picks them up. Now, I've been there. Saved people understand that, listen, uh, I, I, I'm not a slave to sin. But the servant abideth not in the house forever. That one who is still a slave to sin, he may be in, but eventually he will defect. And so the summary of the sermon found in verse number 36, again, is this. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Meaning this, pay attention and I'm done. A growing freedom from sin. A growing pattern of a freedom from sin. Not perfect, but a growing pattern of joy in Jesus. 
And that's why the Bible tells us to examine ourselves, to see if we're in the faith. How are you doing? Are you, is there a growing pattern in your life? I know a lot of people that struggle. A lot of people that struggle with the assurance of their salvation. I have some in my own family that struggle sometimes with it. Can I encourage you today with this? When you struggle, just ask yourself the question, are you abiding in the words of God? Do you love the Bible? Do you love church? Do you love coming and hearing the word of God? Do you, are you growing in grace? Do you find yourself, but, but I sin, but I make mistakes. I do too. I do too. But does God convict you? Does he pick you up? Do you get back on your feet and say, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to do that. In the name of Jesus, I, I condemn that. I want to walk in freedom because I have, been, I have the power within me called the Holy Spirit of God not to sin. Amen? Is there a growing pattern of that in your life? I would, I, would, I would encourage you by the word of your testimony to rebuke those thoughts. And so there's three categories of people here today. Probably there's someone here that would say, well, I, I know I'm not saved. I'm for sure not saved. I'm, I'm convicted, but I'm not saved. I know that I'm not saved. I, my wife led somebody to, uh, got to pray with somebody at our home. Was it, was it Friday, honey? That was wonderful. Oh, they're here. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here. That was wonderful. What's that? Chanel is here. Where are you at, Chanel? Chanel, how are you? I heard about Friday. That's wonderful. And now what I'm excited for, Chanel, is to experience that freedom. The truth has made you free, Chanel. And now, Chanel, we'll, we'll pray that, and we ought to pray for these that, that trust Christ, that they would grow in grace, that they would understand what all this means and how salvation changes our lives. I loved Samuel's testimony. He said, you know what? I've noticed I'm obeying faster. I actually love my brothers more. Amen. I guarantee I could go to Scott and Lisa a year from now, and they say, you know, it's amazing. They still get to tough every now and then, but old Samuel, he'll go and say he's sorry. You can tell, boy, God's really doing a work in his life. Amen. It's good. Then there's others that would say, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm just not sure. Preacher, after a message like this, this really makes me think. Good. That's what I wanted you to do. I want you to think. I want you to obey Scripture. And then thirdly, there are those that would say, I'm sure that I'm saved. But you know, even those that are sure they're saved, could I encourage you right now? Some of you may need to rededicate your life. Seriously. And I think sometimes <laughs> it's a good thing for us to say, you know what, I know that I'm saved. I'm convicted of sin. But preacher, I tell you what, a message like this really stirs me up to realize I, I, I just need, I need to get some things straight. I need to come back to God and say, Lord, <laughs> I'm sorry. And I want to I do better. I, I want to rededicate my life to you. Amen. Which category are you in? Be honest. Every person asks themselves right now, am I saved? Is there a growing pattern of freedom? The truth shall set you free. What do you mean free? Uh, you, you, are you insinuating I'm in bondage? If you're offended by that. then it probably won't be long before you defect and are casting stones at this church, just like they did Jesus. But if that thought causes you to think and say, you know what, I have been set free, and it's a wonderful thing, and I, I know that I'm saved, not just because my mom's saved and I go to church and I pray the prayer, but, but I'm saved because there's fruit. I'm remaining in Christ. I'm abiding in his words, and I know that God has set me free. 
Salvation is not something we can just put a nickel in the machine, turn it, and just, there comes the bubble gum. Yep, I got it. Vince, do you know where Nashville, Tennessee is? Do you think you could probably get to Nashville, Tennessee somehow? Are you in Nashville, Tennessee right now? How do you know? You could be. (laughs) Just because you know how to get there doesn't mean you're there. Some of you know how to get there, but doesn't mean you're there. Are you saved? Every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, 